Welcome to Build Ship Profit, the podcast that helps you, the indie developer, earn income from the apps you build. This is a quick audio version only disclaimer before we get into the show. Just want to let you know this is a very visual podcast. I'm creating it as a video first up on YouTube. That means there's a lot of charts and graphs, you know, things like daily active users, monthly recurring revenue, etc. I also share a ton of screenshots, you know, when I talk about my onboarding flow or maybe a new screen design for my paywall. So I want to give you, the audio listener, that heads up that it is a very visual show. I am putting it up as a podcast because a lot of people have been asking for that. But if you do want the full experience, I definitely recommend checking out the YouTube video. All right, with that disclaimer out of the way, here we go. I kind of got punched in the face since the last episode. Metaphorically speaking, of course, you know, last time trials were increasing, new ratings were coming in. I was excited about this new ASO strategy, like, you know, things were exciting. Well, since then, all those trials, zero converted, like 0 for 17. New ratings have slowed down. I'm not sure about this new ASO strategy. So, when you're building a startup, right, it's a roller coaster, there's ups and there's downs. I'm not saying this is a huge down, this is maybe more of a, a tiny dip, but anyway, in this episode, we're going to talk about what that dip is and how I plan to get out of it. We're also going to talk about paywall design and all the different variations of paywalls that you can have so you can decide which is right for your app. And then we're going to talk about every subscription app's worst enemy, churn. Quick announcement before we dive in, the audio version of Build, Ship, Profit is now on podcast platforms. Now, of course, I'm building this show as a video first, right? All the charts, graphs, screenshots, designs, all that stuff. But many people were asking for an audio version to listen to on the go. So I do encourage you to watch the video version to get the full effect. But if you do prefer the audio only, there you go. It's now available. On that note, let's talk about how I can't convert a trial to a paid user for the life of me. So let's pull up the Glassify dashboard. Uh, I'm not going to go through everything here. You know, revenue, still the same as last episode. MRR, 20 bucks, still the same. Again, if I'm not converting free trials, I'm not going to make any money. So let's look at those free trials. And I think I went like 0 for 17 or 18 on these trials because last episode I was like, okay, a lot of them are starting, but it's a seven day trial. So next episode, I'll tell you how they're, you know, converting, like I said. None of them did. And that tells me the paid version of the product isn't good enough, which isn't a surprise. I mean, I think I got caught up on seeing the new trials starting and being like, oh, let's convert them. But if you remember back to the very first episode, if you watched that, I talked about my strategy going forward with CreatorView and how this current version of the app, I made most of it free. Like, to be honest with you, there's not much of a reason to buy the paid version. I mean, if you like goals, sure. Or if you have a bunch of revenue streams. Other than that, most YouTubers can use the free version. And like I said, that was part of the strategy where I want to build up, you know, some up and coming YouTubers, letting them use it for free. And then over the rest of the year, here we are in May. So from May on, I'm going to start building features and things into the app that make the paid version of the app a lot more attractive and enticing. And I'm waiting until after WWDC. If you're an iOS developer, you know, the first week of June is DubDub and who knows what Apple can announce. So I've learned in my experience to do your best to clear your plate before WWDC. Like I don't wanna be in the middle of a major big feature and then Apple announces something crazy. So I'm waiting to see what's announced at WWDC and barring anything crazy, I have ideas for features that should make the paid version much more enticing. And then I'll go into a building season of like June, July, August, September-ish, where I'm building out these new features and then go back to a sales season come you know, September, October, November, December. And by then I hope to see a good trial conversion percentage and if it's still around zero, uh, I'm gonna have to take a pretty good hard look in the mirror. And I wanna touch on deciding what to build real quick because as you probably know with your products, like with CreatorView, there's a hundred ideas that I should and could build. 
But as a solo developer, you have to triage it and be like, okay, what can I work on that's the most impactful? And then also impactful to what? So for the past month or so, I've been focusing a lot of my development. Remember, I've been in a sales season, so I've been mostly selling and marketing versus building, but the little building time I do has been towards like onboarding and that initial experience because I'm trying to get downloads. I'm trying to get trials started. So now, as I kind of just alluded to, the next most impactful thing I can build is starting to convert these trials that I'm able to get started into paying users, right? So now in the next build season, that's what I'm gonna focus on. So it's very easy as an indie dev to have all these ideas because sometimes the most impactful thing may not be the most fun thing to build or the most interesting. So it's very easy to get like shiny object syndrome and build the cool stuff, you know, but make sure whatever you're building is the most impactful thing for what your product needs at that time. Okay, so I didn't convert any of the trials, but if you look at this trial chart, you may notice after around May 1st, after that big three trial spike, the new trials are getting a little sparse, which is weird because my downloads are actually going up. And I think it has to do with my new onboard flow, which I thought would improve trial conversions, but I made one small change that I think is affecting that. So let's take a look at my onboard flow and dive into that. So here's the old flow that I replaced. For context, I'll do a quick screen by screen. You come to the starting screen, you see like a little thumbnail for a video. You have the option to hit get started, watch a little product demo, it's about 90 seconds. They can just hit skip. We'll take them to the authenticate with Google page. And I wanted them to authenticate with Google in the onboarding because if you see this dashboard, when you're authenticated, you see a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool charts from their YouTube channel. If they don't authenticate here, it looks like this. So obviously, having their information on the first screen they see after onboarding uh, is a much better experience. And now in the old flow, I had this screen here talking about the benefits. And the purpose of this screen, because I show the paywall next, was to let them know that they can use the app for free. I got a lot of feedback that this was probably useless, so I got rid of it in the new flow. But then you go to the paywall, and you can see the key here where it says start seven day free trial or decline free trial. Well, I changed the wording on the decline free trial, and I think that might be the issue. So let me show you the new flow, what I changed. So here's the new start screen. Really all I changed on here was the image. Instead of like a video thumbnail, I put a nice looking up into the right chart. And then next we go to the Google Auth screen, which was the same, and then we go right to the paywall. I took out that benefit screen. So I improved the visuals on the screen and took out a step to make it faster. But one change I did on the paywall, if you look, I changed the decline free trial wording to just dismiss. And the reason I did this is because when I put this out on Twitter for feedback, is this the only time they're offered a free trial? Like, are they declining the free trial forever? And I hadn't thought about that when I did this originally. Like originally I had an X button and I thought this was a more suggestive way to dismiss the modal rather than having an X button. But I didn't think that, hey, this is portraying that this is the only chance you'll get at a free trial. And looking at my trial starting, that kind of makes sense because I was starting a lot more trials when I had this. So people may have had the fear of missing out versus now it just says dismiss. So now people aren't starting as many trials because you know they think they can do it later, which is what they can do. So I didn't think that I was sending that message. That was enlightening. So in the change, I was like, well, I don't want to trick my users. So I changed it to dismiss. And like we just said, you saw the decline in trials starting. So here's the conundrum. Let's go back to that pure dev slimy marketer scale because that's the whole idea behind this, right? As the pure developer, yeah, the dismiss button. You don't even want to even remotely hint or be suggestive to the user, right? Just pure developer, all user experience. But as we can see, that could infect trial starting, which affects the bottom line. Now, of course, a side tangent, these trials aren't converting, so it's probably irrelevant anyway, but that's a separate variable in the equation. We're talking about just trial starting. So again, my thoughts are conundrum, which I would love to hear what you think in the comments is how far down the slimy marketer spectrum is having the button say decline free trial in order to start free trials. That's what I'm unsure of. Like again, the question isn't 
are we sliding down that spectrum? That's not the question. Of course we are. Are we going too far by having decline free trial? That is the question that I would love to hear your thoughts on. Build Ship Profit is sponsored by Glassify, the ridiculously flexible app revenue management platform that helps engineering and growth teams generate predictable revenue streams from their apps. Glassify is a platform approach with various solutions natively built in like payments infrastructure for iOS, Android, and web. That's actually what I use to implement my app subscriptions in CreatorView, and the setup was a breeze. It also has revenue growth tools such as rich analytics, paywalls, redemption codes, so teams can use data to make better decisions to generate revenue all within the Glassify platform. So whether you're adding revenue to an existing app or replacing your current setup, Glassify can help engineering and growth teams deliver better on their revenue growth goals. Speaking of that slimy marketer spectrum, another thing we did to slide down there was ask for ratings right after the onboard. Now we've covered this in the previous two episodes. This is just to give you an update on how that's going. So last episode I showed you since the update, I had gotten 14 new ratings, 12 of them were five stars, two of them were three stars for an average of 4.71. So far so good, let's update those numbers. Now I'm at 26 new ratings, 22 of them are five star, two of them are still three star, but I got two one star reviews since then. Well, I actually got three, but one of the one star reviews actually wrote a review, as you can see here, specifically saying why they gave a one star. And I actually love that they wrote a review because that gave me a chance to respond. And I responded and now they took away their review. I took a screenshot of it because I thought that might happen. Because a lot of times, you know, if you're just cool when you respond, you, you know, give some reasoning, you can see what I said here. You know, people are reasonable, like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll back off. So anyway, they did delete that review. So I'm glad they actually wrote a review, but I ended up getting another one star anyway. But since I've made that change, again, 26 new ratings. Remember that three weeks prior to the change, I'd only gotten two. So going from two ratings to 26, pretty nice increase. And the average is now 4.54. So again, we're early days, we're about a month in or so. And my number of ratings has increased drastically compared to what it was at a 4.54 average. I'll take that all day. Yes, I can pull back on this once I get enough ratings, uh, but you know, that I'm talking like a few thousand, so we've got a long way to go, or until my ratings actually start to suffer and take a hit. So far, I'm not seeing that. Maybe I will eventually, but we're not seeing that yet. But you, know, you don't have to be this aggressive just if you're trying to put this in your app. One of the viewers showed me what they did, and they found a point in their app that 60% of their downloads made it to, and it was a situation where they're interacting with the app, and they found that was a good spot for them. So there is a balance. You don't have to be this aggressive. This is almost as aggressive as you can get. There's various ways that you can scale this back, and that's what I plan on doing once I get enough ratings to start ranking in ASO. And if you do try to do this, like you're gonna get one stars. You're gonna get bad reviews. That is going to happen. The question is, are you gonna get enough good ratings to make it worthwhile for you? And you're not gonna know that until you test it. I recommend testing something like this, see what happens, and then adjust. Moving on to ASO, I started a big, big ASO experiment since the last episode. Like I went for it. I completely changed my title and subtitle to be more keyword based rather than brand name based. So my new title for Creator View, kind of laughing, it's kind of funny, for uh, on the App Store is Subscriber Counter for YouTube. You can see before it was Creator View Tracker for YT, which is more true to what it is, but wasn't targeting the keywords that I want to target to rank for. Backing up, we talked about this last episode, the keywords that I want to target for this experiment are YouTube subscribers. Because as a refresher, you can see that has decent popularity at 24 and relatively low competitiveness at 17. And another one, YouTube subscriber count down here, 14 popularity, which is kind of low, but it's not zero in 17 competitiveness, but they're kind of the same thing. 
So that's why I went with subscriber counter for YouTube. And I'm not saying that's perfect because, you know, like I said last time, subscriber tracker for YouTube, taken. Subscriber count for YouTube, taken. Subscribers for YouTube, taken. So I did the best I could. And real quick on that name, like for YouTube, because I had a lot of people reach out after last episode when I was talking about my name, you know, giving suggestions, which I really appreciate. Like it means a lot to me that you took time to reach out to me with an idea. So thank you for that. I do want to say though, that for YouTube is basically directed by Apple. You know, that's based on an app store rejection I got for using YouTube in my title because you have to use it. And I quote from Apple referentially, and they specifically said for YouTube. And that makes sense, right? You can't use a big brand name in your app title. Like it's confusing to the users. So I understand why you have to say for YouTube, right? Referentially, but you know, still kind of sucks that I have to use five characters, right? A space, F-O-R space. Like it takes up five of my 30 characters, but having YouTube in the title is that important that, you know, I got to do it. So anyway, I'm explaining to you the constraints I'm working in for my title. And like I said, I'm not saying what I came up with is the best, but it was the best I could do for right now for this experiment. So let's take a look to see how that's doing. So over here on my, my tracker here, so I've, I've bounced around a little bit. You can see YouTube subscribers at the bottom there, the main one I'm targeting, I got up to 16. Last time I was 17, I think I've gotten up to like 15th. I could have sworn I saw 14 in there one day because it, it changes all the time constantly. So as of this second, I'm at 16. So barely any movement. These results aren't great so far on this experiment. Now, of course, I still have a low number of, of ratings. Now I keep talking about ratings. They're not the end all be all, but they have proven to be very important in the ASO algorithm. And to be clear, Apple doesn't publish this algorithm, but companies like AppFigures do a lot of testing, trial and error, reverse engineering with a ton of different apps to kind of figure out how, you know, the app store works. So yeah, while ratings may be the most important, I'm sure things like, you know, downloads, revenue, usage, uninstalls, like anything that gives Apple a signal probably has some weight to it. Now, of course, different things have different weightings. And like I said, ratings have proven to be very heavily weighted. So that's why I focus on them. The reason I bring that up is I think you can have the perfect ASO keyword subtitle, but if you have no ratings, you're just not gonna have a lot of juice like behind that. So it would be unfair, I think, to call my ASO experiment a failure if I don't have the ratings to back it up. So I'm not really sure where to go from here. Again, I'm not pushing an update to Creator View for another couple weeks, so this still has time to play out. But if I don't see much more improvement than this, I am gonna go back to the more brand-focused keyword because the keyword stuffing does feel a little dirty to me, just being honest. Even though it is a, a common practice, right? If your app doesn't have the brand awareness, you're brand new, it is better to put keywords first because no one's searching for your brand name. And at Creator View's at that point, like no one is searching for Creator View. I hope that changes one day, but for right now, no one's doing it, which is why I tried this experiment. But you know, if I'm not gonna get the gains in, in the rankings, then I might as well not keyword stuff my title. Okay, quick update on my Apple search ads campaign. And it's gonna be quick because this campaign ends at the end of May. So we'll do a full deep dive when it's over. The reason I wanted to update you is because you can see from my, my ad spend chart, I wasn't able to spend my money in these weeks. You can see, I wanna spend $40 a day. So we established last episode, but you can see 22, $8, seven, like 18, nine. I couldn't spend my money on the keywords I was targeting. And as a quick recap, I'm targeting YouTube subscriber focused keywords because in the last experiment, that's what showed to be a cheap cost per tap, cheap cost per acquisition. So I wanted to expand on that with a custom product page and focus only on that. But like I said, I wasn't spending my money and I want to spend this money to get downloads. So here, as you can see this giant spike, right? What did I do? 
Well, I already said it. I opened up to other countries and now I am spending my money, like more. So, right, $40, 59, 36, 50, because my ad spend is only $40 a day. So we're going over it a little bit, but I am spending my money. However, and again, I'm gonna let the experiment play out. Cause like I said, this, the, your initial Apple search ads, like you just have to be willing to spend money to experiment because you have to learn not only how to use it, but you have to learn what keywords work for you, what regions work for you, you know, countries or whatever. You're not gonna know any of that until you try it. So anyway, let's go to countries and region for the spend. So you can see where the other countries started to come in and you can see like where I'm spending a lot of money. Like lately on May 10th yesterday, India was pretty expensive for me, but let's go to cost per tap. And this is why I don't think it's working out. So I can do average cost per tap by country. You can see the blue line is the US, pretty steady, you know, between two and $3 all the other countries all over the place, right? Look at some of these huge spikes, like Germany, almost a $10 cost per tap, UK, $8.30. But then other days, they're not that much. And then here, like UAE was $11, Germany's expensive. So like, it's just all over the place. And I'm not even sure if these are like the best customers for me because CreatorView is not localized in any other language but English. So I don't know if this was the right move, <laughs> but again, I'm out here experimenting. I don't claim to be the Apple search ads expert. I'm trying shit, I'm bringing you along for the journey and sharing my results. So hopefully you can learn what to do, what not to do, what to try, what not to try. Again, this ends at the end of May. I'm gonna let this play out, but I don't think opening up the regions was the best idea. And I think my learnings is my hypothesis is that I may just have to target more specific keywords and I guess just be cool with not spending all the money. It feels like a wasted opportunity. I don't know if anyone is an Apple search ads expert out there or has experience with this, would love to hear from you. All right, to wrap up Apple search ads, let's go to basic. And I uh, decided to do a little basic experiment as well. Cause again, I couldn't spend money. So I figured YOLO, let's throw some at basic because look at this, look at this cost per install. This is actually current day, but on May 4th, don't say it, may the 4th be with you. Uh, on May 4th, I looked at it and I think at the time, I, I'll have a screenshot here. It was a very low cost per install, like 48 cents. And I was like, huh. If I'm getting that cheap of an install, let me throw a lot of money at this and like see what happens. So that's what I did. You can see I upped my monthly budget to 500 and my max cost per install to $7. Now a quick note, if you update your monthly budget mid-month, you can see here, you can't lower it mid-month. So I'm gonna have to wait till June 1st to lower it back down to 100 if I want to. But I don't know, I'm getting 92 cents per install. I don't know, I kind of like that. Again, the downside of basic is I have no idea who's installing this app. They could be my ideal user or they could be way far away from my ideal user. They could be people I don't want downloading my app. You don't know that with basic, right? With advanced, I know like, oh, this person searched YouTube tracker and they downloaded your app. That is very valuable to me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting here. Very hard to tell, but hey, I'm getting installs for less than a dollar. Ah, I don't know. I guess I'll take it. But as you can see, if you can do some quick math, still can't spend my damn money. Apple, I want to spend my ad money. You can see I have a monthly budget of 500. We are on May 11th. So we're a third of the way through the month. I am not a third of the way through my budget. Like I'm only going to spend, I don't know, a little over a hundred dollars at this pace, like 20% of my budget. Like, I don't know. I'm having a hard time spending my money and it makes me sad, but we'll see. Maybe at the end of the month, Apple basic will just be a flurry of spending, trying to like spend my whole budget. But yeah, the first third of the month um, hasn't really spent any money. Now let's talk about one of the most important views in your app when it comes to making money, and that's your paywall. Which paywall design is right for your app? Should you go with the scrolling paywall, a single view, 
What about a timeline view? How many plans should you show? Should you have a video on your paywall? Look, I can't answer these questions for you because it's very unique to your app and your users. But what I can do is show you different paywall styles, a bunch of different design elements, talk about the pros and cons. That way you can pick and choose all the different elements that you think will work for your app and your users. To start, let's talk about the scrolling paywall versus the single view paywall. The benefit of the scrolling paywall is it gives you more chance to inform your user. Maybe you need to educate them about your app. Maybe you wanna put their mind at ease about their purchase. Maybe you wanna show a lot of social proof. Napper, which is an app for new parents, does a great job at putting their users' minds at ease when it comes to the purchase. First, they start with a Blinkist style timeline. Quick little side note, uh, the app Blinkist made this popular. It's a very common thing now to have this timeline showing, hey, here's where your trial starts. We'll send you notification on day five of the seven day trial. And on day seven, you will be charged. And they came up with this design after doing research, finding out why people weren't starting trials, and they were scared that they would forget and be charged when they didn't wanna be charged. So they came up with this design, which has since become very popular, to ease that. And that is what Napper is, is starting off their scrolling paywall with. So next they have a default plan, which is their annual plan already selected. And you see the button view all plans. If you tap that, this is where you go to see all the plans. So this is kind of a two-step paywall. You get two in one. But when you do this, the idea is that more people just stick with like the default you selected. Because of course, I don't have their analytics. I don't know. But you can imagine most people don't even tap that button. They just kind of keep scrolling and go down it and start the trial. So when you have this default selection, make sure it's the one you want them to pick. In this case, it's the annual plan. Then right after that, again, more putting the user at ease. How do I cancel? It explains how to cancel it. And then here comes the social proof. Featured by Apple, all the five-star reviews. And then they finish it up with an FAQ which again is geared towards putting the user's mind at ease. So you can see all the effort they went through on this scrolling paywall. You can see for the sole purpose of basically making the user feel okay about starting that trial and hitting that purchase button. So that's the power of the scrolling paywall is you have more opportunity to do that. Now the obvious downside, which I'm sure many of you were thinking were users are impatient. No one's gonna read all that. No one's gonna scroll. Well, that's why it's product specific. So I think you're right probably most of the time, right? I think a scrolling paywall is not right for most apps, but there are apps where it does make sense. For example, my app Creator View, I am gonna switch to a scrolling paywall because my app does lean more on the expensive side. It's $12 a month, $99 a year, and it's a tool for YouTubers to run and manage their business from. So it's a little more of a serious purchase, which is why I think a scrolling paywall for me where I can do more to educate the user, inform the user, have a bunch of social proof on there, a clear list of benefits, maybe even a video showing the app in action. I think for my users, that will do a lot for making that purchase a lot easier than just a simple paywall where you don't know much. Now, of course, if your product is relatively simple or the benefit is really, really clear, you don't need all this, then yeah, a single view paywall is probably for you. And this is the most common type of paywall, right? All the information is right there, very quick, to the point, you don't overwhelm the user, pretty standard. The downside to the single view paywall is lack of space, right? Looking at CreatorView's current paywall, you see I have the free versus pro like benefit list, I have my two options, and then the buy button. There's not really room for you know social proof or a little blurb on the value prop. Now there is a common workaround to this, and that is the carousel of images and text. So the user on your paywall can swipe through, see a bunch of features, and then you're still a single view paywall. So a single view paywall is what most apps use, but I encourage you to think about your users and see if they will tolerate slash appreciate a scrolling paywall. Again, it's a unique choice for your specific app and user. Now let's talk about individual design elements on the paywall. And we've already touched on some of them, right? We touched on the Blinkist timeline, it's a design element. We touched on the swiping carousel with images and text. 
But another common design element we see here in the Napper app, when you do tap view all plans, you see this list of benefits before they choose which plan they want. And obviously this would be like the top benefits, the top reasons they should subscribe. Similar to the list of benefits is the free versus paid table. And again, using Creator View as an example, the reason I use this table is because my free version is limited usage. For example, Creator View's calendar, you get seven items per month. If you do more items, then you gotta go to the pro plan. You get two revenue streams for free. If you get more revenue streams, you go to the pro plan. So if you have an app where usage is limited, or if you have three or more tiers, then a table like this is really useful to explain the differences. Speaking of multiple tiers and plans, how many should you have on your paywall? Speaking from purely a paywall design perspective, you should keep it to three or less, unless there's a really good reason to have four or more. And that's because you don't wanna overwhelm the user. For example, if you have one plan, well, that's pretty straightforward and focused, not confusing to the user. The only decision they have to make is yes or no, done deal. Now, if you have two plans, well, you added another decision. So now it's yes or no, and then now it's okay, which plan? But it's still not super overwhelming. But when you add a third plan, well, now, You've just made that second decision more complex because now they gotta choose between three. And this is where I think you're starting to teeter on, on being overwhelming. But one quick side note, if you are gonna have multiple plans, whether it's two or three, definitely, definitely, definitely highlight a default plan and already have it be the default selection, right? If you can remove a tap or a decision, that is good. And obviously you wanna make it probably the plan that is best for you. Most often, this is the annual plan because you don't have that monthly churn, you get all the income up front. But the point is, Make sure a plan is selected because again, you wanna make it easy for the user. Now with three plans, you do get a benefit of being able to use some price anchoring strategies. That's where you use one of the plans as just a decoy to make the plan you really want them to pick look way more attractive. Uh, but now we're getting into like pricing strategies and that's way beyond the scope of this video. But for design purposes, I would keep it to three plans or less because you want them to pay you and you want to make that as easy as possible. You don't want that to be a confusing process. Now, the next interesting design element in paywalls is a free trial toggle where the user actually has to flip a toggle to enable a free trial. You may be wondering, why don't I just offer the free trial to everyone? Why even take that extra step? Human psychology, we're weird, right? Because if you make the conscious decision to like flip that trial on, you're just more likely to go through with the trial because I don't know, you feel like you had agency in the choice. Again, weird human psychology stuff. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to work for your app, but I don't know, it's probably worth experimenting with. And finally, we have adding a video to your paywall. Now, I'm not talking about like some pretty little movie. I'm talking about seeing your app in action, you know, seeing the benefits of it, seeing how the app works. For a lot of apps, the user seeing that right on the paywall at the point where they're making a decision to purchase, I think can be insanely helpful. And again, to be clear, it's not a marketing commercial. You're, you're showing what the app does. Another cool thing you can do is remote paywalls. And that is where you have a website, host your paywall, and you can experiment with wording, copy, design, all on the fly. You don't have to submit a new version to the App Store, get it approved. You can make changes and tweaks to your paywall in real time. Another cool thing you can do is remote paywalls, which can be done through Glassify. And this allows you to experiment with different designs, different pricing, different wording, all remotely on the fly without submitting a new version to the App Store, getting it approved every time you wanna change something on your paywall. So this is a great way to test out all those different paywall design ideas to see what works best for you. Now I wanna to touch on a topic I think a lot of indie devs don't fully understand, and that's how detrimental churn can be to the income capability of your app. Churn acts as an invisible hand pressing down on your app's growth. It puts a ceiling on how much subscription revenue your app can earn. If you have a high churn rate, that's gonna be a pretty low ceiling. And vice versa, if you have a low churn rate, you can have a pretty high ceiling. 
let's talk about what churn is and how you can combat it so it doesn't squish your app's growth. The super simple definition of churn for a subscription business is the amount of revenue or subscribers you lose for a given time frame. Now, the most common time frame is monthly, but you can track churn daily, weekly, yearly. Churn can also be measured on individual subscribers or total revenue. Total revenue is typically the better way to do it. And that's because a lot of the time, each individual subscriber isn't worth the same amount. For example, if you have a $5 plan and a $20 plan for your product, well, it's pretty obvious the $20 user is gonna be more valuable than the $5 user. So if you're tracking individual subscribers, it's not gonna be super accurate. That's why you wanna measure total revenue to get the big picture. Here's a quick example. Let's say your app is earning $1,000 of monthly recurring revenue, but every month due to cancellations, you lose $100 of that revenue. So your churn would be 10%. So 10% churn means that 90% of your revenue is renewing each month. Like that, that sounds great on the surface. Let's dive into that a little bit more and you'll see how the invisible hand of churn just squishes your app's growth. We'll continue with this 10% example. So your app is earning 1,000 monthly recurring revenue. So at 10% churn, you're gonna lose $100 of that each month. So all you have to do to overcome churn is get more than $100 worth of new users each month. That sounds doable, but when you're small, it's relatively easy to overpower churn just by pure growth. That's not the case as you continue to grow. So let's keep going with this. Okay, now you're at 10,000 MRR. Well, now you have to find $1,000 worth of new users every month. What about 100,000 MRR? Now you have to find $10,000 of new users every month. A million MRR. Now you have to find $100,000 worth of new users each month just to break even. Like you can't grow until you do that. So as you can see, the more you grow, the harder it gets to grow. And that's what creates this curve that you see here. That's why it's that invisible hand like pushing you down. That's why your churn rate is so important because if you have a higher churn, well, that ceiling where you flatline, that's gonna be pretty low. But the lower your churn, well, now that ceiling is gonna be pretty high. So obviously you wanna strive for the lowest churn rate possible. Now, to be clear, this is a very simple example, a simple explanation. This is designed for people that aren't really familiar with the topic. Churn becomes very complex as you get some scale and you have millions and millions of users, bunch of different plans. It can be a pretty deep topic, but we're keeping it surface level right now. A slightly more advanced example of that basic churn we just talked about is segmenting your churn. Let's go back to that example where we had the $5 plan and the $20 plan, because you'll probably find some counterintuitive things. More often than not, the more expensive plan has way less churn than the cheaper plan. And that pretty much just boils down to price sensitivity. Typically people that are paying the more expensive aren't that price sensitive. People that are paying cheaper are more price sensitive. That's a very broad generalization, but that's typically how it goes. But anyway, in the extreme example, if you track your churn for both the plans, and let's say you find the $20 a month plan has really great low churn, and the $5 a month plan, they're just churning like crazy. Like one drastic decision that could really change like the path of your product could be like, hey, why don't we just drop this $5 plan and only offer the $20 plan because that has way less churn and then you can build your product around those users. Again, that's a drastic example, but that absolutely can happen once you start segmenting your churn and seeing what's really going on for each plan. So how do you combat this horrible, terrible, no good churn? Well, having some level of churn is inevitable, right? You're not gonna create a product that no one ever cancels. But there are things you can do to minimize the churn as much as possible. The obvious answer that's way easier said than done is, build a better product, make it stickier. Just build a product that people absolutely love to use and come back to. Because there's a lot of reasons why users may cancel, a lot of which are out of your control, like who knows what's going on in their life. 
But the one reason you can't control is when they say, this app sucks, or this app doesn't solve my problem, or this app is frustrating to use, it's buggy. So fix all that and you'll drastically reduce a whole subset of your cancellations, which will in turn reduce your churn. In turn, reduce your churn. We'll roll with it. Another thing you can do to reduce your churn is increase your average revenue per user. What this means is your existing users find another way to make more money from them. So an obvious one might be, if you have that $5 plan and a $20 plan, find ways to convert those $5 people to the $20 plan. You know, that's again, increasing your average revenue per user. You could also raise prices. Of course, you gotta be careful with that because you gotta make sure the price increase, enough people are gonna stick around to make up for the inevitable people that are gonna leave due to a price increase. Or maybe you build your product with dynamic pricing in mind. Common example is Slack. Slack sells based on number of seats for a company. So if a company becomes a customer of Slack and they start small, as that company grows, maybe they go from 10 employees to 100 employees, well, they're gonna to need to buy more seats from Slack. So therefore, Slack's average revenue per customer is gonna go up. That's just one example, but maybe that sparked an idea on how you can potentially build that into your product. Increasing your average revenue per user combats churn because your existing users, you're making more money from them, and that offsets the loss of people canceling. Now, can you imagine a scenario where your average revenue per user is growing so fast that it's growing faster than the number of people churning the money you're losing each month? That's called net negative churn, and that is the dream scenario for anyone building a subscription product. So if you can pull that off, good for you, enjoy the ride. Another way to reduce churn is to defend the cancellation. Now you can get real creative on ways to win back your user, things that are unique to your app and your user base, but here's one example that will apply to almost all subscription apps. On the app stores, you can tell when the user goes in and turns off the auto renew. Now this means they haven't canceled yet, but they're gonna cancel at their monthly renewal date, right? You've seen this when you go to cancel something, it's like, great, you're canceled, you'll get to use the service until you know June 14th, you know when your next month comes up. So that is them turning off the auto renew. And a tool like Glassify notifies me of this. Now in my app creator view, I'm not collecting emails or any identifiable information. That was a choice I made, but most apps do collect some sort of email. So you can imagine when you get this notification that they turned off their auto renew and you have their email, this would be a great chance to win them back, whether that's offering them a discount or some perk in your app or whatever other type of win back idea you can come up with, this is a great chance to do it. So when you take somebody that was about to cancel and bring them back into a paying user, you are reducing churn by doing that. That wraps it up for this episode of Build Ship Profit. See you in the next one.